0: This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Welcome everybody to Ko Waikoi, What Waters Are You, where we delve deep into somebody's soul. And I have a dear friend in front of me called Meg Rose. (laughs) How are you, Meg? I'm well. Hurley, how are you? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm expecting this to be quite riotous because one of the things that when you come to get to know Meg is that really she needs a set of reins because she's got this amazing spirit. She's incredible. In fact, I actually wrote down things. Connector, journalist, radio personality once. Thinker, (laughs) land hero, and she's quite funny and irreverent as well.
1: That's so, nice, that's great I think we should leave it there I think, think we've so? probably peaked
0: Well now I want to delve into this Because okay. you know, why are you humorous? Why are you such a sort of exuberant out there person and things? I mean, you know, is it just is it just your wonderful genes? I think I'm
1: humorous because I'm the um, second child Or I was for, well I, I still am the second child But I'm the middle child for a very long time I think that's why I'm funny And I was fat I really? think that helps
0: too This is yeah. the David Longley situation Is it? I think so, but you're not. Yeah, well I'm know, not now. The, the well thanks. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as a as a child I think I think that had probably something to contribute to it. So oh. and um the great thing is that now that I'm fifty and all my friends that who were stunningly beautiful are aging, I'm still funny.
0: You are. Yeah. You are. And you're beautiful. Thank you. That's all right, yeah, I know. I have to say these things just to you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I wanna go through so I wanna go through your life because I do think that, you know you're a you were from the um, central Hawkes Bay. Mm,
1: mm. I so was born in Waipawa. Land. I did. Yeah. I was. I grew up on a farm in Waipawa and uh, born in Waipukuro, Um And then for the first eight years of my life, lived on this farm that I discovered as an adult was a small dairy farm. But I remembered as a child. As just being a farm because there were sheep and there were pigs and there were horses and there were all sorts of things. So, um, But apparently a small dairy farm.
0: So what was life like? What did you feel? What were you doing?
1: Life was uh, busy and um, there's probably a lot of gaps there. I didn't take too much notice of it to be honest with you. Yeah, I remember the smell of freshly mown grass on the school lawn. So that must have been around five. I remember that smell. And um, I remember running around a lot on on hills and the river and and things like that. But I think um, for a child, it's a blessing to almost have an uncomplicated, uncomplicated sort of lack yeah. of memories and, and respect, oh. because I, I think I just potted along.
0: Did you not sort of? Um, were you doing you know yard work and farm work? We were doing, yeah,
1: we were. We were doing a lot of things, which I, I think is the memories of the animals. So yeah. I remember lambing and docking, and um, I remember you know picking up dead lambs and and um, Scraping the pig and and things like that. So yeah, so (laughs) so things (laughs) that you know, I I obviously didn't think about too deeply at the time. But um, it was it was a busy time. Time on the farm is it's it's busy. So I don't remember a lot of time spent indoors. I I remember um, watching the Muppet Show, things like that. So these moments in time where I obviously was sitting down watching television, but. There's not a lot of memories there. So yeah. there was me and three, um, two of my three sisters yeah. at that stage, yeah. with the younger one following a few yeah. years later. So mm. just the three of us pottering along on a farm. Were well, you
0: an all all girl?
1: Four girls. Bloody
0: hell. Four Sorry, girls. not
1: say that. So eventually my parents got a male dog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> In fact, they. And, and have balance. since. Yeah, a bit of balance. Oh, yeah. so come on, tell me so you're growing up with sisters what's mm. that like? I mean i had I, I've got the reverse. I had one sister and then there were six boys wow. and I was the oldest boy, and there were six of us so it was a very masculine thing and our sister was the boss she was older and you know. well there
1: was there was it wasn't a um feminine thing to have four sisters because you didn't realize that there was any difference so it was you know it was it was a it was a non gendered time because we were living on a farm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, I remember wearing boys' clothes because in farm clothes, you know, the jeans and things like that. They didn't really, maybe they did have girls' jeans, but I was wearing boys' jeans. It's, it's so you not,
0: went. So you went in the kitchen making pikelets and scones with whipped cream?
1: No. No, I wasn't really even eating them. Were they there? Yes. Where, where, yes. where were I they? Ate them. They were there. <laughs> they
0: were there. No. On demand. I can on remember. Them, on demand. At I, 10 o'clock.
1: I, I can't remember a whole lot of that sort of stuff. I do remember eating lamb chops for breakfast. And yeah. my sister and I were talking about that the other day the memory of, of eating chops for breakfast. And, and I don't know how many um, farming families mm-hmm. would have that memory. But um, it seems bizarre now.
0: In a shearing shed, when you have a 7 o'clock breakfast, 7 to 8, mm. it was the full thing. Yeah. You could have a roast for breakfast. You would yeah. have chops and sausages and roast and whatever you could have. It just had lots and lots of energy. Yeah. And it was an incredible amount of food that we used to put away.
1: Absolutely. So But we burned it off. So it, there was lots of running around and it was great. And um, so school for the first couple of years at Waipawa Primary, mm. um, which I enjoyed. And, um, and then... My parents sold the farm, and mm. we moved to Tarradale.
0: Oh, my God. That's as I, I heard somebody describe Taradale the other day as the pakaranga of Hawke's Bay. <laughs> oh, Do you remember those advertisements they used to have with um, palm olive? Yeah. And they would be, it, you know, you're soaking in it. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. Was, that was Deirdre from Pakaranga. <laughs>
1: Such or something. You're such a snob. I I had no
0: I think it was really. I just thought it was really funny. So whatever name was from Pakaranga Yeah. And I, and then someone said, well, it's a bit like Taradale, really. <laughs> Sorry, so, everybody who lives yeah, in Taradale. Yeah. For
1: all your complaints from Taradale, please write the video <laughs> box. Um, <laughs> So that was great fun because we had lived fairly isolated on on a Road. Oh, so, and oh. so it was only ever school bus in and out of, of town, yeah. right? So when um, we ended up living in a town with streets and people, yeah. I was never home. So I, um, after school, every day would play with friends' houses. And that seems, you know, people take that sort of stuff for granted. But yeah. for a child... To, who has never been able to play at someone's house yep, after yep, school, yep. to go from school to walk with that person yep. and play at their house was just absolutely phenomenal. So I just loved it. Oh. And I think that was probably the um, opening up of my yeah. social world there yeah. at around age eight at Taradol Primary School. We
0: don't think much about the fact that often living in the land, unless you've got a sibling. I mean, mm. I had my brother, mm. my younger brother, who was only 18 months younger. But that... I never had that sense of loneliness or that sense of mm. being isolated from other kids because, but I, I'd never thought about that. But you're actually quite isolated in a mm. in a rural community,
1: and, and not that you know because you're. Only, I mean, we would go out to church and things yeah. like that, so you'd see other people. Mum and Dad were members of lodges, so you'd you'd see their kids and things like that. But the sheer joy yeah. of. That walk home after school, yeah. chatting or, uh, you know, talking about... I remember when the Dukes of Hazard started and one kid said to me, I've watched this program, it was called the Dukes of Hazzard. Did, have you seen it? And I thought it was about the English, you know, <laughs> aristocracy. And, and, you know, you're, you're just so socially out of every loop, you know? Yeah. And, um, and the, so that was a fascinating time for me. And so I, I was a joiner then, which mm. is strange because I'm a hermit now. But no, I was—that's actually
0: not true. You are such a connector, honestly, Meg Rachel, at
1: Well, at same. that stage, I was—I um, was right in the middle of of the social, um, I guess whatever was going on. I was eight. There wasn't a hell of a lot going on, but it was the ability you were in other people's homes. You yeah, were meeting yeah. other people's families. You were sitting at the dining table, listening to other people's stories, and I was fascinated by it. And it was. You, because I liked being funny and think, you crack a joke and you're making these other people laugh and yeah. they're complete strangers. And and it was probably the first um, sort of performance, um, you know, that I had an opportunity to put myself out there and, and see what the reaction was outside my own fa- family who had heard all my jokes by that stage.
0: You should have been in showbiz. You should well,
1: have gone that way. It's coming up Is 4C. It? Do you yeah. reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I had, I was very comfortable by um, sort of going in, saying something, making somebody laugh, um, and then going away again. Mm. You know what I mean? It was nice, short, sharp. Um, do something and then leave. And in primary school, great like that, wasn't it? Because you got school plays and things like that. So you, oh, can, so you
0: were you up the front? I you, was, oh.
1: I was always in the school plays and pick things me, like that. Me, yeah, me. I loved it. Really, absolutely oh, I was down loved the back it. Going,
0: God, I hope they don't see me. No. Until it was in teenage years, and that's when you end up wanting to get girls high and boys high. And together. then suddenly, you, a so suddenly and then you're volunteering. And then suddenly <laughs> you're volunteering. No. Yeah, that's different.
1: Yeah, but I've always um, been happy to be the first at the buffet table. You know, yeah. someone's got to put their hand up first, and I have always been happy enough to do that. Yeah. I haven't ever worried about um, someone pointing out, or, you know, someone's got to be first. Yep. Someone's got to be first. So... Yeah. And n- later in life, as a, you know, become a facilitator and working with people and trying to get yeah. crowds of thousands of people to move in one direction all at the same time, it is, you, you are looking for those people yeah. who are happy to go first. Happy to stand up. Yeah,
0: happy yeah, to stand and up. And speak. Yeah. yeah. You, did you never, ever, ever have a problem with standing up and speaking?
1: I never did. I once wet my pants singing a um, a song in the front of my class, um, but that was Roy Orbison's Crying, and I think that <laughs> probably shows my commitment to performance in that I, I obviously desperately wanted to go, but the show must go on, and um, um, and so it did. There's commitment. <laughs> that was commitment. So, no, I've never How been... How old were you then? I would have been about nine or ten, because it was yeah. still at Teradale Primary School. Oh. Mm. Yeah. So, um, lots of stuff there. So, that's... That was really the beginning of me um, discovering that I was a person, I think, that I had a personality and that I was an individual because of up until that stage I was just one of three. Yeah. And um, I had my littlest sister was born um, in Taradale, in, in I think. Yeah. She was born, yeah, around that time because she has quite different memories yeah. to, to the Well, rest she hasn't of had us. the land. No, she hasn't
0: had that. no. Yeah. I think it's intriguing when you go from, as a child, you actually end up not having one experience no. right through. So if you've got a situation, and I mean, for instance, you know, I moved and my father became a stock agent, so suddenly we were going different places mm. and you were living in different places mm. and things like that. And um, and so that, that itself gives you a uh, perspective. I remember kids at school who had never been anywhere but there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right through their school life, never mm. been anywhere but there. And I think maybe there's a bit of a difference in the fact that you're suddenly forced to see the world and you're seeing it anew, different. Well, you don't know what
1: you don't know. So it is, unless you are experiencing moving from the farm to the coast or, you know, my first time in a city, I can still remember the first time I heard a car go past at night
0: oh my god isn't yeah, that amazing because it was so foreign
1: to me I'd never heard you know you're lying there and you hear a vehicle in the night going past the house it feels like something out of a movie yeah. there's so much atmosphere in it yeah. and I've never forgotten that sound and when I hear now a vehicle go past at night it takes me right back yeah, I sure. can remember that. I can describe the room I was in Yeah, it's like know?
0: a new normal is suddenly thrust upon you oh. or, or that is so abnormal Yeah, and yet it's very normal like you know it's abnormal to walk home with your friends yes. to, to house, it's yeah. abnormal to hear a car at well, night. Well you
1: don't, on the land street you lights. don't, yeah I mean street lights you know, how do people sleep? My sister <laughs> the youngest sister when she moved to Wellington to go to university she went to post a letter and there was no flag on her post oh, box. where do you go? Where? How do you post a letter? <laughs> so you know when you live in rurally you just put the flag up and somebody comes and takes it away so you know it's it's all of those things and as an adult I'm very conscious of assumption and where we make assumption yeah, and where yeah. other people, especially, you know, and what is your normal? Te yeah, yeah. Wai wai, where, does, where do you speak from, yeah, yeah. and how does that shape how yeah. you are then communicating your expectations or your confusion yeah. to the world? Yeah.
0: yeah, you're a Hawkes Bay girl, though. I know that you mm. love. Um, this place and you're so tell us about that so have you ever felt like moving to Auckland oh I did live in
1: Auckland I have um, I have six months in Palmerston North that I can't remember Um, I have why is uh, that Megan there was a lot going on (laughs) there was a lot going on I was young it was great Um, there I lived for several years in Auckland and um, I ended up coming back to Hawke's Bay just really because of I needed to at the time and the changes, and I never felt the need to move away again. Yeah. Every, I got, strangely enough, I was offered an opportunity um, after my girls were born. They were in sort of two and four, something like that, yeah. and I was offered a job in Auckland um, for a, a big, flash, swanky advertising agency, and it was... Oh very tempting. Was it like Saatchi and Saatchi? It was was Drum Mojo Publicis. So it was um, it was very tempting. But and I'd been doing some work um, in and around public relations at that stage in Auckland and I at some stage I, I looked at the kids and they were sleeping and the sun was streaming in and the, you know that morning sunlight and yes, shining on yes, them yes, and I thought I babe? cannot no. I cannot I need to leave them I need to, we need to stay here so let's that's what we did.
0: go back to here's this amazingly talented individual and then you choose to become a journalist Mm. Well, How old and where did you go? I was
1: 16 yeah. and I did a cadetship through the Napier Daily Telegraph. And at that stage, they were, um, it was actually run by Briley. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, oh. And they did, so he owned at that stage um, the the newspapers. And so they had their okay. own cadetship program. And so we, I, I was taken in through that straight out of school. And as my friends and things went off to university, I started work. So I went from – I was at Woodford before then, so I'd done four years at, at Woodford, and all, all four of us went through Woodford, and I loved it. Everyone had a bit of a different experience, yeah, but I loved yeah. it. It was, you know,
0: it was great. Uh, lots of fun and it lots true? of friends. Is it true – I'm just putting on my face now – is it, is it true that, that you go to Woodford if you want to marry a farmer – no, marry a doctor. And you go to Iona if you want to be a doctor. No, clearly.
1: this oh, is not? That's not oh.
0: true. But
1: again, for complaints. Please feel free to, to it's email. Just, it's
0: just something I've heard. I've no. I've it to Colombo in Dunedin, shocking. which is Iona here. So, you know, there's a certain...
1: I think, you know, there was it, And I had a, a very strange reaction, not as strange as your one just then, but a very strange reaction <laughs> uh, from another adult a few years ago um, who obviously had major issues about um, public and uh, private schools and all the rest of it but she just unleashed on me and I think people have got um, really strong opinions about public schools uh, and private schools Mm. and I would just remind them that the student generally has absolutely no choice in the matter so leave them the hell alone. Thanks very much. Um, It is a choice that uh, on on a good day, it's the parents wanting to get the best education for their children Thank that they can possibly get. Mm-hmm. And on a bad day, it's them wanting to buy a social circle. So, you know, neither of, of which are um, have anything to do with that young person. I think so. the former
0: more often, I really do. And I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So you end up in this place. Now, describe what it is to be a journalist um, in the dim, dark ages of the previous century.
1: Typewriters. Ash really, pray, typewriters, ash Hang on, prays. not even
0: Electron. Did you have Electron? No, 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 no. What? Oh, really, no. Seriously? Yeah. You had, go, you had to actually push your finger down. God, you're so this, lazy. This, this thing, is... And there's the ribbons, those ribbon things that would come. The ribbon things? Really? Typing? And they would jam. And you had to pull them back after yes. you've got
1: seriously yes that was not the biggest issue of the time but yes that was a um that was a reality and we had so all on newsprint with the carbon paper in between Um, the newsprint and so you'd bust your ass cc means
0: carbon copy that's
1: right um doing your little you know pars and things and feed that through to the subs because the subs still existed proofreaders still existed
0: do they not now and
1: no no Um, The journalist puts it straight in on the computer. So we had a a three-step process there, and the editor would still walk through the after the plates had been put up so that he could check um, before it ran. So it was very manual, very hands-on, and um, that was great fun. As a cadet reporter, you um, are really the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, and so I spent six months writing the shipping report,
0: fascinating. The shipping news. The shipping news, I
1: know, and a passable (laughs) movie. Um, And it probably puts a really good light on it. So in those days, we had to cut out the previously printed text and repaste it onto a piece of newsprint that would then be, be keyed in. So um doing up that doing the radio uh, schedules the children's page and then after um, you proved yourself and you had to learn shorthand
0: yeah
1: and um, after you proved yourself and stuck around for a while then uh, they moved you onto the different rounds so I spent about a year doing court reporting yeah. and that was fascinating and that's how I got to know a whole lot of people in in, in the Hawkesbury community yeah, yeah um and through the Navy Court through the Navy Court (laughs) And and it was in the old courthouse then, so it was the one on Marine Parade. It was a fantastic building. And as a young reporter, I probably didn't take it as seriously as I could have. And there was one occasion where the judge did yell quite rudely I thought please wake up that journalist on the press bench I know but and so that's probably the (laughs) highlight of my court reporting but it was you know it was those days of rushing to the phone and having
0: to call it through were you snoring well obviously disturbing
1: disturbing the (laughs) peace contempt of court yeah, big night. Um, yeah. And the the highlight probably of that stage, of, of that time, really was Cyclone Bowler, where ah, they had the, um, the film coming in on the chopper. And it was my job to drive to Marine Parade, run out of the car, grab the film from the hand that was reaching outside of the chopper of all of the footage that they'd just yeah, shot yeah. on the East Coast so that we could print it. Wow! Yeah, it that wasn't. Yeah, really hands, hands. on. So really it's very,
0: hands on. So this is like you know you would nowadays you would just send a video file from yes. from the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you'd get. Well, do. it would be
1: live. It yeah. would be a live feed,
0: isn't it? I mean, it's, it was lost something because you are, like the type of person because you think about old reporters and old mm. movies and they've got a cigarette hanging in their mouth and there's a whiskey bottle in the in the bottom filing drawer yes. there's a whiskey bottle and a couple of glasses and there's a cigarette and there's smoky is it like that are they sort of cynical yes because
1: in in, in a good way in a good way i don't believe
0: this corporate guy um going yeah
1: no so. it's it was a whole. The, the grit is real and you know the the cigarette the ashtray there was an ashtray on every desk in every desk, and yeah. and overflowing, and it was there were um, really old gnarly, gnarly yes. characters, I can and we we've, we've just lost a, a dear one, Roger Moroni, who I started with in yeah. those early days. I worked with Roger, and and you know he's we've just lost him, and and um, but to journalism, he I you know the name. yeah he he's, he was yeah. writing right up till yeah. very very recently, and Roger was the. Roger was the Juno that introduced me to the police round, and Ooh. my word wasn't that <laughs> eye opening. And I think too what I understood from that, and uh, is that the police are very similar to journalists. We we really do walk in a world that uh, other people don't get to see all the time. Yeah. There yeah. is so much going on that you can't tell other people about. You are you are there when. Everything has happened, and as the decision is making, how much do we say? So, with the police, you've got to think about where that case is going. The the relationship between the police and the Junos was so trusted. Yeah, yeah, it was so trusted, but and and it was truly unique. So um, that was that was a, a really interesting so like time. A public
0: good. There's a, still a public good. Um, Goal or some sort of you you, you framed within a public because I mean other other a lot of journalists could could get a scoop couldn't they oh, they could look, they the, could oh I'll just remember I'll get the that big headline
1: journalism today is very different How? to journalism then so we we were there's a real responsibility around that fourth estate you know keeping everybody else accountable That's sometimes the only thing that will maintain moral behaviour is the consequence of your face turning up on the local paper the next day, right? So you've got this huge social... um, Influence or yeah. destruction at your fingertips. And yeah. that's, a, that's a massive responsibility. And there was real fear of that. And I remember the editor sometimes coming through the newsroom to say, we will not be running that story on blah, 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 blah. Really? Yeah. You know, so... There was a
0: judgment about... So it wasn't about selling the papers uh, through a gotcha... Um, no
1: headline. no no and but it, you know in that way it, it is hu- hu- human and humans yeah. are um fallible and so having someone making the call don't you run that story about me and that story being pulled uh, also had an impact yeah, on me as a young yeah, journalist yeah, that's so like that's, on, yeah. well this is new zealand's a small country Mm. Hawke's Bay is a small place Um, and so you know that goes on everywhere but so in those days there was a real moral compass around that I remember one stage I interviewed someone for a story and I didn't say who I was or what paper I was from and they would not run the story because I hadn't let the person know that I was a journalist from the Napier Daily Telegraph so that was a bad mark for me
0: well it's a learning step
1: it is, but a vital one, you know, a vital one. And um, there was, yeah, there were, you learn a lot because you're being thrown out there um, essentially as an adult. Remember, I was 16, 17 yeah. years old yeah. and straight out of boarding school. So I had time no... timeframes
0: as well. I would have thought you'd have... You had deadlines Like oh, the deadline. deadlines
1: This is the problem So I still work to deadline Which you may or may not know And I um, do Yes
0: I, I do listeners
1: <laughs> So if you need something from me It's Tell potentially me. going to be done The day before you actually need it um, Give me a fake deadline So I still do everything to deadline, and I get a lot done, but um, that's journalism. And my parents, if they were listening to this, would tell you that I did that with my schoolwork as well, yeah. but I refined it as a journalist. And um, that's essentially, the, the, with, with writing, you don't want to write it any earlier because something's going to change.
0: I also have this other perspective, because I'm similar, as you may or may not know. And the thing, I think that you actually, when you're in the shower, you're actually... It's mulling. There's a subconscious at work. Um, And so I know a lot of people that will start on day one writing Mm. or doing something. And yet I'll be like procrastinating and making a cup of coffee and thinking about it in the whatever. Mm. And you actually have, your thoughts are.
1: It is that first stage, right? It is what we would call the brain dump. So you're releasing the bucket. If you release all that information first, sure, dump it down, but you're going to have to go back to it afterwards, aren't you? So essentially you're doing it twice. And you might not have been as deep. Exactly. So, yeah, we're very much all for the leave it to the last minute. (laughs) Um, And I think you get, well, certainly you get a better result than for me, um, yeah. than I would do if I if I did a lot of preparation. <laughs> some people are planners.
0: Some people are feelers. Um, yeah, it's very. It's. I'd, I'd actually be interested in, in your Myers Briggs profile. It would be quite fascinating. It is thought.
1: hilarious. Yeah. No, yeah.
0: Oh, anyway, people don't know about Myers Briggs, but it's a personality <laughs> thing they do for employment.
1: Mine things. is my personality profiles. An I, introvert. I, I am oh. an introvert. Oh come on! No, I am. So this is the lesser known really? thing. All you introverts out there, I'm talking to you. <laughs> People think you're an extrovert if you are self-assured, if you're willing to stand up and speak yeah, in front yeah, of the crowd, yes and anything yes. like that, right? Yeah. But introverts generally are people that are fueled by their own energy they don't need outside energy to um, to fuel themselves and if you think about me in my private life when I'm not working if I'm not standing up in front of a stage in front of thousands of people or doing something where I am leading a group of people I am Very much an isolated person. So, You're I'm, happy very, with your own I'm very happy with my yeah, own company. I can relate so, yeah, so there are a lot of introverts, people like myself, that are viewed as and treated as extroverts. Mm. Whereas, really, we're not. So, the profiling is okay to do as long as you understand that people are complex and I do worry totally. about people being put in boxes.
0: Oh, put four yeah. variables. I mean, it's really that's yeah. the thing that's a worry. Yeah. So, let's get on to you. became. What happened then? Let's see, what happened after this? uh, And what did you learn? First of all, what did you learn? What do you think happened to you by going through that in terms of your own inner thinking and moral base or your values that were set or your loves and hates? What happened through that? journalism
1: was really good in that um, it forces you to always look for the other side so you cannot okay. you cannot write an article with a single viewpoint so you have to for balance go and find someone with a, with a, an opposing view yeah. um, th- these days that comes a lot more across as opinion there's a lot more opinion pieces now mm-hmm. there were no opinion pieces there we could not use the words I or uh, express our own thought at all it would be struck out there was no
0: room for for it at all it was still letters and opinion pieces yeah though, letters to the editors yeah. or it
1: might be an op-ed yeah, but op-ed, it was very yeah. much signalled as an and opinion right this yeah. is not you would never have a journalist writing a yeah. piece that expressed an opinion yeah ever. So um, objectivity, I'm a good listener. I'm able to sit for long periods observing things and not be noticed. Yeah. So um, that's that's become very handy in, in later life. Um, also, because I learned to gather a whole lot of information from a lot of different people at the same time, without there being any sort of flow or chronological order... I became very good at writing eulogies and putting funerals together. So Mm -hmm. later on, as I became started working in funeral celebrancy, it was those journalism skills, those interviewing skills that I found came Mm -hmm. to the fore because someone could shout something out from way over there about 1955 while the family's talking about 1937 over here and, and you've mm, got these mm. different places and different schools and different lives and different people. And suddenly, somehow...
0: You can deal with complexity. That is That's right. what you're saying. That
1: all gets flowed into yeah. a simple tapestry.
0: Isn't it interesting from an education point of view because you were educated in that, that hothouse of life, of reality, mm. and yet you would get people trying to go to a university course to say this is how you deal with complexity or whatever, and you would never actually get it the way you've got it.
1: No, and I think that's experiential learning for you, and that's why I'm an advocate of of people learning on the job, and I don't have anything bad to say about universities, but it's never been an experience that I have had or or felt that I would fit into, because as soon as I found something that I was interested in enough to study, I would just go and learn about it so I could then go and do it. So the idea of actually... Dedicating three years of my life to something without actually doing it, I, I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm very much on hands-on learning.
0: What would have happened nowadays? Because, um, as you said, you're a 50 year old young woman, and um, in nowadays, people like you would have been. Pushed through to university.
1: Oh, I look, potentially, because uh, you know, I would hope that someone like me nowadays would get um, f- would get noticed, would get spotted, and because I think then there wasn't uh, room for complex thinkers, disruptive thinkers. Yeah, um, you know, so then I f- I actually found it really difficult to find where I fit. I still do. I've. I've this is why employment has never suited me. I don't fit somebody else's box, but I can do a whole lot of different things for a whole lot of different people all at the same time, but you can't who wants to hire that? So I think
0: they ought to quite frankly yes. they ought to have systems thinkers um, but but, but I, I agree with you I think the, I think a lot of managerialism is and all that sort of stuff has led us into silo linear, I instruct you obey, and you must not connect.
1: but maybe that's why we are the the thinkers we are because we have been forced into funnels in which we did not fit. Mm. Therefore when you come out you are looking for other people that don't fit. Yeah. I, I think part of the the network and that, that tapestry that you and I have around us and, and both professional and, and personal is made up of a lot of people that don't fit. True. A particular True. thing. So uh, if we, I, I often yeah. sort of think back, if it had been easier for me, because it has been a life of literally having to slog and bang down every single door yeah. I've ever got through, if it had been easier. I think I would have been more arrogant. I would have been I would not have checked my privilege at any stage because I've got
0: checked time and time again. Time and
1: time again when you have to explain why you are equal to the guy that you're working with. Why you should be paid the same, why you should get that job, why you should be hired, why you should when you you know, when you're actually actively having to put this argument forward and trust me, I understand why people just stop bothering, it gets very frustrating. But then I thought, well I can articulate that and a lot of other people can't. So again, first at the buffet table, you need someone to speak for you, I will speak for you.
0: I'm going to really question, I'm going to go on to one small point there, and that's the the fact that you were there during all the time we were trying to get some gender balance in terms of pay and things. Now, what was that like back in those days? Were you really, being a female in in that situation um, in um, the 80s and what have you, what was that like?
1: it's still happening.
0: I know. I know that. I was looking for a difference. Let
1: me sum it up for you. Yeah. This is why women are angry.
0: (laughs) Are you angry? I'm
1: angry. I think I I can probably summarise it as rage, um, (laughs) as intergenerational rage, and I would say that it's been bubbling for around 3,000 years, and it's felt... By just about every female, Chris Quick, yes, head nod from the producer. Just about every female on the on the face of the planet, because it is a rage that cannot be expressed. It is a rage that bless them, men do not understand. Yeah. And so your perpetrator is unconscious. Your perpetrator literally does not know. Yeah. So he's trying to be helpful, he's being paternal, you just want to punch him in the <laughs> face, but you can't. And he you know, and you're sort of saying, mate. You don't need to say, you know, you don't need to explain that to me. That's okay. fine. I'm just trying to help,
0: you know. Improvements? Do you think it's moving? I,
1: th- I think we're getting to a really uncomfortable stage, which you know I love. Yes. Um, I love discomfort. And so I'm really excited about where the world is right now, which is massively uncomfortable. So, men have just realised that women are angry. They're not not sure why, but they know that we are. So, a couple of curious men will say, why are you so angry? And unleash the gates of hell, right? And so, if you can withstand that... It'd be like telling you
0: to calm down.
1: Oh yeah, (laughs) tell a woman to calm down. Tell a woman to calm down. Um, Yeah, try that. And... So, but but if you're listening to them, you'll hear yeah. the same themes, and it's the same themes that I hear when I work with people in communities that um, don't have a voice or that they feel that they are underestimated all the time. It's those same small things that just after a period of time really start to grind your gears. And when you see it on a massive scale, you can feel that it's um, overwhelming, yeah. right? so. I understand that um, there are so women that want to talk about it, women that don't want to talk about it, men that noticed it, men that do not notice it. Yeah. Right. So when you've got a man that has noticed it and will ask a question, it depends on what sort of reaction he gets. If it can be explained to him about how, so how do you talk to a mate? How do you talk yeah. to a male? And they will say da 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 da, right. Do you realise that you, when you explained it to me, you explained it to a, as if you would be explaining it to a person that's never come across that concept before?
0: You've made assumptions.
1: Right. Yes. You're just assuming yeah. that the person opposite you is completely ignorant. Yeah. So when men are talking to another male, they assume that they have a general idea of what they're talking about. When they talk to women, they'll generally make the assumption that they don't. That pisses off women. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So there's just a few of those little thing there. Now, if we think about what the men are um, navigating at the moment, we, we feel real empathy because they are raised for the last 40, 50 years to say, when you get to a certain stage, the world's going to tick like this, right? You do this, you will have a sense that you're on the top of the tree, you've got your stuff together, you, um, you know, you're an adult, um, people will listen to you, da da da, da. Some men, when you and I were raised, were told that they were smarter than women, faster, oh stronger, all the rest of it, right? So imagine then those mm. men as they grow up interacting with women and finding they're not smarter than that woman. No. They're not smarter than the next woman either or the one after that. Do they go to their male friends and say, hey, have you encountered this strange phenomenon? No, <laughs> no, they don't because they might look dumber than their mates. So you've got all of these men who are trapped in this myth. And at a business perspective, I have one gentleman who made a mistake with a a woman uh, property manager. He would not admit the mistake. He lost the business. He looked like a fool in front of his staff. He looked like a fool in front of her, but he could not apologise.
0: Because of that hang-up?
1: Because he could not show that he was wrong in front of her. Now, if that had been a male... Business client, or well, you know, totally different. It. He would have w- said, "Mate, sorry, I cocked that up. What a dick!" And carried on.
0: I've got to bring the parallel in, um, and that is uh, Megan. You were the one that actually took me along to dragged me along to Robert Considine's mm. treaty workshop, and I've just been to another one uh, that Jess Mio, who was on this program um, uh, a few months ago, and she ran, mm. uh, she ran that, and. You drag me along to Robert Considine's thing, and the and the what you're what you're expressing is very similar to what's happened within Murray in terms of um, they didn't agree to this, and that's the point, And nor the land that lot got lost time and time and time again, nor the differential policies that actually put them at um, that disadvantaged them all the way through. So when you say anger, when you say you have to understand the frustration of injustice,
1: it is, and and. You know, anger is a secondary emotion. It comes from somewhere. So un- unjustness, as you say, fairness. There's there's yeah. five human triggers and fairness is one of them. Yeah. We're so, very
0: fairly oriented. We're very yeah. people are very like that, aren't they? We 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 like to see fairness, justice.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. the risk with fairness is that because generally in a case of unfairness you are you are right, yeah. there's someone who is wrong. So Because you are right, you lose any sense of value of where the wrong person speaks from. Mm -hmm. So when we see advocacy, when we see demonstrations, when we see people standing up and and speaking for their point of view, Mm -hmm. yes, they are often right. But in a case of fairness, they make the other person wrong. And that's what we're seeing within the race conversations, yeah. right? But we're also seeing them within the gender conversations. Yes. So for someone to be right, someone must be wrong. And, and you are correct in, um, with the treaty thing which I was also dragged along to um and so that was life-changing for me I thought it was I thought I was tickety-boo I thought everything was fine um I didn't need educating thanks very much and it turns out I did so those two days changed my life and I'm I'm glad and I know the effect of of it on you as well but it was recognizing that I was unconsciously biased And that is a really hard experience for an adult to go through. So we're talking about the curriculum changes now to reflect our accurate history. Those young students are going to go home to their parents' who will be younger than you and I, but in a generation that also wasn't educated about our history. So we've got to have some empathy for what those parents, as adults, are going to be navigating. They do not know. And soon they're going to know, and they're going to have the discomfort that you and I experience. That
0: comes back to that same theme of discomfort. Yeah. And I want to tap into that. So you're actually saying that you think the world at the moment has got a lot of discomfort, and that's not a bad thing. It's a
1: really good thing because you What's don't move. business as usual. You Let's don't go move back when you, to
0: business as usual. Yeah,
1: when you're comfortable you don't move. So all, all learning and positive change comes from discomfort. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. else we'd just stay exactly where we are. So if you think about what makes people uncomfortable at the moment globally they have lost, people generally have lost a sense of purpose a sense yeah. of community belonging, certainty autonomy, the ability to make their own choices. Right? Yeah. So all of these threat responses that are made up in, in all human beings are now being triggered. So that's what we're, we're feeling very, very tangibly. Yeah. When a human Climate being. Climate change is Yeah, well, exactly, uncertain, right? There is no certainty. No. So for COVID all, comes
0: along. For yeah. all
1: of those adults out there that say, um, you know, what's wrong with the young people today, we grew up with certainty. Mm, right we knew that yeah. we could leave school, get a job, mm. buy a house, retire, mm-hmm. and die, right? Fairly. Um, fairly certain that we'd be able to do those things. With climate change, we have a generation of children that have been brought up with no certainty because every newspaper prints stories like the world's going to end in 12 years or this is a ticking time bomb. We have only X amount of years to go. So while we're putting these headlines out there, they are being consumed as threat, as risk, and that's how our body interprets them.
0: I think politics might change dramatically as those that generation comes through. Because if you're not dealing with the future, if you're just dealing in the now, and you're not having a concern for the long term, which I think has been a factor of politics for, for decades now, that people have thought short term. It is, but I it's only, it only in European politics. and Probably, this is, But this exactly, is the problem. No, e- right.
1: But yeah. even though we have a generation that's coming through that we erroneously see as the saviours of our planet this is our job to do because they do not have the experience of seeing what we've seen so yes they have fresh ideas now but they are going to move through the same channel of time Mm. as everybody else their ideas aren't going to be challenged as readily when they're in their 30s and 40s as they are when they're in their 20s so we need to do this as a combined group of perspectives. And I think the the concern I have when people reflect on the youth of today and the great hope. Even that
0: phrase. I know. And the great
1: hope (laughs) that they present. No, it is not their job. You know, it's our job. And so politics, as you say, changing. Absolutely. But politicians only follow a brief. And so if we think about the message that we as a collective group of people are putting out there... We need to actually take some personal responsibility in changing that brief.
0: When you say we, who? We're well, talking. everyone.
1: So consumers, voters. So if you well, voters have voters, particularly, yeah, I voters, particularly. So what defines policy? What defines political platforms? It's essentially what theoretically the po- the population need mm. and will vote for. Mm. So that dynamic. If if you have politicians coming out and promising a whole lot of systems change they're not going to get many votes. You have to get, a, even though it's, it's absolutely what's needed, needed right? right? So you actually have to be responding to the public. The public actually needs to create this momentum for change. So it does F- come down to individuals.
0: FDR was famously said um, he would go and talk to somebody about why we needed radical change. And then he would say, right, now go and make me do it. So he yeah. said, so beat the media up and yeah. beat the drum and then I will respond, oh, oh, we, ne- we have this need. That's because it, you've got minute, a mandate then, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But if you go out there and say, we're going to create um, uh, you know, a fair society, mm. which is what he was trying to do in the 30s and things like that, and have people employed, then mm. there would have been this reaction against it. But the minute there's a drum beating that this is what we need, it's a bit like we need we needed to have a better health system because it had been degraded for for decades of underfunding and things like that. And then this comes along, and there's a mandate mm. to actually increase the yeah. The, so now the, I, I, hang on, because you are a one. I, we could talk for two hours. You know that we've done this before, but I want to get on to the one thing I want to get on to is the fact you've the World Futures for uh, review that we're talking about world building, and you're actually entered into it. But even but just quickly, because it's funny. You went into radio journalism. I can just imagine you. I did breakfast radio, so... And this is the thing that is funny, because you I'm not a morning person. Not a morning no, person.
1: no, no, it wasn't huge. I did ask them, to be fair, I did ask them if I could start at 10 o'clock.
0: So... <laughs> Breakfast radio yes, doesn't starting at, start at 10. No,
1: it's, no, it finishes at 9, coincidentally, <laughs> um, as I discovered. So it was 6 till 9, and that was classic. It's, it was a, that was a huge amount of fun. And I have realized that it's a lot of my life has been shaped by saying yes. So I literally just went in to record some ads yeah. and um, ended up... I had 30 ads to do because it was for, for a campaign. So I ended yeah. up having a huge amount of ban- banter with the producer and um, the um, was invited to come and join the breakfast show. So I said, okay.
0: Because they would have seen some personality issue or trait yeah. there. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about what it was like sometimes when you were late for your show. I was always late for my show. It was well. I had the news. You say
1: technically I was supposed to get there before six, but the news and the weather, if you time it right, goes to about seven minutes past
0: six. So really, you've got you've got you've I've got, got to a be good seventeen by.
1: minutes. So at myself. So <laughs> I, I got did get snapped out a few times. There was um, I called in late, and I was in the McDonald's drive-through. <laughs> I tried to say that there was fog. Between me and the station, and very disloyal listeners rang up and said, "No, there wasn't." I did a, ch- a challenge, a weight loss challenge one one time, and God, listeners would ring when they saw me in the shop buying chocolate. People can be very disloyal. <laughs> It was astounding. So um no, it was great. It was it was amazing. But the six o'clock starts. The six o'clock starts were hard. And yeah. I had two little um the the two little girls at that yeah. stage too. So it was probably never going to be overly are, sustainable. I've got to
0: say that the girls are wonderful and artistic and irreverent and Uh, creative and marvelous
1: they are they are and some things they get from their father as well i can't take credit for everything (laughs) yeah but they're um no they are they're fantastic um but no radio radio was a huge amount of fun
0: Mm. can you tell me i'd like to go back to this world future and the fact that you've already you've already, already tied into it things are happening there's a vibrant world but I also want to talk about one other thing, and that's the fact you've bought a piece of land. Mm. So, what will we cover first? What I do you think, want to cover?
1: well, they, um, they do probably lead into the other, really. I did realise uh, a wee while ago that... I was potentially going to spend the rest of my life having the same conversation over and over again in the type of work that I do and that I should probably um, put a little bit of effort into maybe writing some of this stuff down or training some other people, that sort of thing. And... um, the land really is is part of that so when I started going tramping going into the bush as an adult and I'd never experienced it before and I just loved it and realized that that's where I wanted to be I just
0: remembered a very funny story I think it was about a certain partner that took you tramping and and you came back exhausted and I couldn't walk yeah, I know, it was sort of like a slight, it wasn't a, just a, a little sort of sunshine. It
1: was my very first ever tramp, and it went for three hours, oh, and we, there were hills. We I'd
0: dined m- on that, we I, dined out on that for so long.
1: I couldn't walk for three days, and I was walking working in a building with stairs, and I had to go up them sideways. It was somebody else's sideways. fault,
0: though, wasn't it?
1: Yes, lack of planning. <laughs> I bought new boots, especially, and it was... Not it a was, good idea. No. <laughs> Normally, when you have something to do, you would buy new boots, and it would would be a very good idea. But um, no, for tramping, it's not a, no. it's not a good idea. But yes, so I became very earthy very suddenly. So um, that that changed into me wanting to. Um, plant trees and so we've got a little bit of land and that's what we do plant
0: trees it's so. like you're coming back to your youth again mm. it's like you've come full circle and mm. you've, you've come back to being on the land again well, so tell th- us about look, look just to, because i love the vision you have and the thinking that you put behind these things which is what you are you're this you're this eclectic um gatherer of complexity and you make something beautiful so, what are you? What are you planning? What's the? What is? What's the vision?
1: To return it. To return it. Hurihanga to the yeah. return. It's it's land that was native bush that was turned into pasture and um, is down south as um, Tararua district.
0: So it's part of the old ninety mile bush. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. because it stopped about Norwood didn't it? That mm. bush stopped about norwood So yeah.
1: stunning, stunning little piece of the earth that we felt that was the least we could do. Really,
0: yeah oh well it's for you as well, I mean you can imagine the, the contemplative space you get with that It's um,
1: isolation, which as you know I adore, yeah. so I think to to round it off um, you know, the local stuff, the personal stuff that I'm doing with individuals the global stuff through the World Futures Review, the, the article there around, and that's just around scenario planning, stretching people's minds out of what is in front of us mm. on a day to day basis or in a local area and, and um, thinking like Māori do, putting another couple of zeros um, around those timeframes and um, really stretching it out and saying, what do you want the world look, to look like when everyone um, that you know is dead?
0: I could so take that theme on and we're running out of time, but that perspective of, for instance, the argument that that self is, you are part of a whānau, you're a part of a landscape, you're a part of a, an intergenerational thing. You You, you cannot be self-interested Um, if you are just about me you have to have this context of of place and that's what we can learn again
1: well ironically if you are self-interested it just reminds you that you're mortal so even the most self-interested people can get more out of what they're doing by literally thinking about the generations that are coming after them
0: that perspective that's it and you live forever then you you live forever we're just about to round up um i've got to say that that the the, the thing that I really love about you, Meg, is the fact that you have got an incredible mind and you bring people together and you bring ideas together and you make things happen and you're a treasure. It's a shame that, um, you know, we've both li- worked in institutions where that wasn't necessarily appreciated, but um, it's been a pleasure having you here and it's good to see you, old friend. It really is. Thanks, um, Pearlie. Megan Rose, who's... um. How this, this is this month's kō wai What waters are you? Thank you. Kia ora. This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.